Hello, lovely listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and for their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. One woman, Manuela Canales, began chanting, walk out, or sorry, walk out, walk out, walk out. Hey everyone, this is Carmen. And Christina. And this is Historias Unknown. Today we are talking about something. Yes, I'm going to tell you what we're talking about. Uh, school walkouts, specifically one historic okay. school walkout. And I wanted to talk about this. I had another topic in mind, but then, you know, the whole shooting, school shooting happened. Yeah. And so now Rob Elementary is, um, you know, forever associated with the tragic and violent shooting. But it's also home to quite possibly the, the biggest Chicano movement in Uvalde, Texas. And so, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it, to just kind of bring a, a better story to light that involves Rob Elementary. And because I had no idea about it. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't the same. This wasn't the school in the movie that we watched, right? No, those are the that East LA. LA walkouts. Oh, which, that's right. That's right. Yeah, are probably the most well-known school walkouts. Yeah. Um, but let me let me just get into this then. Oh, and then just, you know, a quick um, update. Uh, we were gone last week. I had COVID. Uh, I was visiting Carmen and family. And, <laughs> and she brought back COVID from California. No, I think I got it on the flight, honestly. It's still, that was in California. No, I know the flight back, though. Like, I don't think, because yeah, none of yeah, you were yeah. sick. Like, no one else no. got sick. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you got it on the flight. And if so, that was so fast. <laughs> Like, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, didn't yeah. you land and you were sick already? <laughs> no, Just no. Kidding. Um, it was like in two days. Like we landed on mm. uh Monday and Wednesday night. Wednesday afternoon, Mateo, uh, my three year old, was like dozing off at the table, and my husband's like, "What's You're wrong?" You're like, "That's not normal." Yeah, I was at work, and um, he was like, "That's weird." And then um. He felt his him, him his forehead like at night, and he noticed he was super hot. And then the next day, we tested him, and he was positive. And then immediately, we all just went from <laughs> yeah, there. yeah, got sick so fast, including Kyle. So that's why I'm telling you, like, yeah, it was, and fast. none of us are sick. Yeah, literally none of us. Yeah. yeah, but that's how um that's how it happened to me when I went to that yes. stupid Santa Con thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Highly regret that now. It was on a Saturday. And Monday, except my symptoms weren't that bad, but I think there isn't there a new variant now. I yeah, think that's what I heard. So the new Omicron uh, variant, variant of Omicron. 
So there's like a baby Omicron? Yeah, one? yeah. It's like um, Omicron point something something. I don't know what. Oh, okay. I don't know how they're it's naming like, them. It's like a quicker. What yes. is it called? Um, I forget the quicker, word. Quicker. Uh, incubation? Yes. Incubation period. And then, um, but yeah, symptoms start way faster. Because I thought it was a little fast. Because for me, yeah, I went Saturday. And then Sunday, I felt like an itchy throat. But I really thought it was like allergies or something. Mm -hmm. But that was all I felt. And then same thing Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I had to leave work early because I was dying. (laughs) Yeah. And there I went. Probably gave it to people at work. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, so sorry. Um, So yeah, that's where we were last week. (laughs) Very sick, but I'm mostly fine now. Thanks for asking. Yes, thank the Lord. (laughs) Sorry, I've been watching religious stuff, so... I see. That makes it sound like I've been watching... um, Handmaid's Tale. Church sermons or something. No, I've been watching (laughs) Under the Banner of Heaven. Right, I want to watch that. Okay, let's get on with this. Tell me... So I'm going to start it with a little bit going back to the 1960s because um, I'm kind of mad about this. In the 1960s, in school, learning about the 1960s, we spent so much mm. time on, like, Woodstock. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about Woodstock. Like, why are we learning about Woodstock? <laughs> <laughs> because it was the end of the hippie movement. Yeah, I know. In, in world history also, and even in uh, U.S. history in 11th grade, I feel like we spent a lot of time in the hippie counterculture and protests for Vietnam. And we almost spent zero time on all the other movements that were happening at the same time. Um, obviously, you know, the civil rights movement we do touch on, but still not enough <laughs> because yeah. schools focus a lot on like MLK and Rosa Parks, but we get different That's versions. It. Yeah. Different versions, but yeah. at the same time, the Black Panthers were happening. Malcolm X was Malcolm happening. X. Malcolm X, yeah. Um, but there was also you can also see Asian American movements that were happening at the same time. When you look at Black Panther rallies, there's pictures of Asian people next to them yeah. with yellow power. And we didn't learn signs. anything about any other Nothing. movements. Nothing. There was indigenous movements like Native Americans, which we learned nothing about. New Yorkian movements, so Puerto Ricans in New York, that was happening. Mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus movements, anti-war sentiments, which I think we do go over a little bit in class, in, in like school, mm-hmm. um, and to name a few. But of course, there was also the Chicano movement, which again... We know we learned nothing about even going to school in California. Like, I don't remember talking about it at all. And I think the only reason that we knew a bit more about the farmer farm workers movement was because we went to a school called Dolores Huerta Learning Academy. Yeah. But aside from that, none of it is touched upon. Like, but it was like a national demand for rights for everyone. Everyone was demanding rights they didn't have. Um, and so the key years of the Chicano movement are like technically 1965 to 1975. But of course, Mexican-American activism existed before and after these years. There was farm workers uprising. And at the same time, Mexican-American youth were uprising. So you, this is where you saw the creation of the Mexican-American youth organization or Mayo, the Brown Berets, uh, and then other organizations. Mm-hmm. And one big thing that happened during these times it was school walkouts because 
school walkouts were so powerful because, you know, schools got paid for students that were there. And if students showed up and then walked out, school lost all that money and they could see all the money they were losing and the numbers that were walking out. And um, so of these walkouts, the most well-known are the East L.A. walkouts that happened in 1968. And there's a movie about them. And that's why I learned about them. I think we watched the movie together. Isn't the Spy Girl girl in it? Mm -hmm. Alexa Vega, who I don't support. (laughs) (laughs) Who is now an MLM. Yes. (laughs) What is the word? MLM. Er, Pusher. uh, Yeah, pusher. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and a trump supporter oh i didn't know that part but it makes sense because most mlm okay that's a tangent i don't need to go on and that's a different topic too (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you know what would be a good episode is herbal life in the hold it has (laughs) on the community really i agree latinx community (laughs) yeah okay go on (laughs) Seven high schools across East L.A. participated, and all of these schools were at least 75% Mexican-American. They had the highest dropout rates, terrible school conditions, and um, like I already said, the funding for these schools were allocated by how many students were present in school. So students walked out during homeroom right before roll was taken. They would just stand up and walk out. And obviously it was like more than just that. But um, so the schools could see how much they were losing. And um, 20,000 students participated in these walkouts. Like that number just gave me chills. I don't know if it was also COVID, but (laughs) (laughs) it was COVID. (laughs) But it's a huge, powerful number. Yeah. And uh, more walkouts across the nation took place. East LA, Washington State, Yakima apparently was a huge Hmm. place for Chicano movement and Mexican American rights, which I had no idea. Um, But it makes sense because it's it's a farm farm uh, community, agriculture community. Still, I still can't think right. Yeah. Um, I knew, I knew where you were. Colorado <laughs> was another one, and of course Texas. Mm-hmm. And these 1968 school walkouts would go on to inspire other walkouts during move- other movements, like walkouts in protest of HR four four thirty seven in two thousand five, which we participated. Which in. we participated in. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's going to be a whole own episode because it's yeah, it's uh, not a lot of. It's not talked about anymore, I think. It's yeah. called La Gran Marcha. And yes, it happened in 2005. And then obviously other school walkouts, like walkouts um, in support of LGBTQ rights, which are happening, would just happen like uh, before the summer, this school year. My bad. That's what I was trying to say. This oh my God, year. you really can't think. I know. <laughs> it's- Wasn't there um, school walkouts too in response to school shootings? Yes, after Parkland. Parkland, yeah, yeah. After Parkland, um, there was walkouts. And yeah. and right now, after Uvalde, there was walkouts too, after Rob Elementary. Mm, I didn't know that. So yeah, school walkouts, they're um, a big big way to protest something. Uh, so yeah, today I will be talking about the historic Uvalde school walkouts. Uh, they occurred in 1970, which when you look look at history, that's not long ago. 
Like that's it's not not long enough ago. Like uh, yeah. So um, but first a brief summary on segregation in schools because that's what the Uvalde school walkouts were mainly about segregation. Again, segregation in 1970. Like what? So in Brown versus the Board of Education, the Supreme Court officially established that racial segregation in schools was unconstitutional. Before that, though, Les talked about Mendez versus when Westminster mm, was mm-hmm. filed in 1946. And this is this only took place in California. So obviously it didn't go further than that. But the Mendez family in this lawsuit the mendez family tried to register eight-year-old silvia mendez in a local white school and her cousins were in this school but her cousins were white mexicans and this is why no one can tell me that white white mexicans are white passing or you can't see um uh-huh. really quick i yeah. did also watch the Abercrombie documentary finally <laughs> the one you were you told me about yeah. and i saw that guy mm-hmm. the white mexican who said who as a brown man <laughs> as a brown white man <laughs> didn't he say something like that he, did. he didn't say as a brown man he said like as a brown white passing man or some yeah. shit like and, that and, and i'm like that's not a Sir, thing you're a white man <laughs> it's okay to be mexican and white like yeah it being really mexican is, is it ethnicity mm-hmm. and there's various racial backgrounds <laughs> in mexico and i was just uh floored <laughs> at his words when he said that i literally burst out loud laughing and i'm like <laughs> if you wouldn't have said that you're i would you look like any old white person to me because you are you just happen to be of mexican descent yeah which you know whatever is fine it's fine yeah uh, but, but people, just acknowledge it man yeah people try to act like they're attacked for being white mexicans and it's like stop <laughs> like stop it yeah um <laughs> then he went on to like hella minimize the racism that ever Crombie oh, and God. um jeff whatever the hell his name you know Ugly was jeff. perpetuating or yeah mm-hmm. And he's like, I won't, I won't not say it. But see, he says something like, I won't say it's not racism, or I won't say it wasn't something weird. And then the person that was interviewing him were like, they were like, what? And he's like, he just laughed because he knew it was just straight up bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. just say it was racist. Yeah, and this is why these things matter. That's why it matters <laughs> to point out someone has privilege for being white, even though they are an immigrant, you know, or yeah. But yeah, so Silvia Mendez was a brown-skinned Mexican, and her cousins were not. They were white. They had blue eyes. They were very pale, reddish hair or something like that. Like, Were they from Guadalajara? They were probably <laughs> from Jalisco at the very least. <laughs> but I don't know that for sure. Anyway, her, her cousins <laughs> attended the school, and that's why her family were like, we're going to put them in the school so she could be with her cousins. And then the school didn't allow it because it was a white school. Wow. And so then they took this to the California Federal District where they won. But schools in California and all over the United States remained unequal after this, after Brown versus the Board of Education. So protests for equality emerged, including in Texas. Legal segregation was over, but schools were still segregated in Uvalde, Texas. Rob Elementary was one of these schools. Rob Elementary was 99% Mexican. There was only white teachers and white administration. No one spoke Spanish, even though most of the parents did not speak English. Rob Elementary was clearly underfunded. 
when compared to Dalton Elementary, its white counterpart. This was an all-Anglo school. Apparently in Texas, they like to say Anglo instead of white. Why? I don't know. I've seen that because I've seen them say, when I read that book about greasers, they would say Anglo. Yeah, Anglo all the time. So, And that was from Texas. Yeah, I think it's because Mexico had already people living there when it became part of the United States and all the settlers were the ones that were advocating mm. for the Texas to become part of the United States. And those settlers were called Anglos back then. Oh, So I think that's why. So Rob Elementary had no landscaping, no playground, nothing. Like it was just a building, basically. Just dirt? Yeah, and a, and a building. <laughs> dirt and a building. There was no denying the difference between Dalton Elementary and Rob Elementary. Dalton had grass. It was beautifully landscaped. It had a playground. It was well taken care of, well funded. Wow. Mm -hmm. During this time in the 1960s, Uvalde, or this is the 1970s, anyway, this time period, Uvalde was a segregated farming town. Um, Anglo farmers and business owners lived on the east side and their kids went to Dalton. And the farm labor and Mexicans lived on the West. And so in 1965, a teacher named George Garza arrived at La Rob Elementary to teach fifth grade. And he was the first Mexican-American teacher to teach at the school and the first to speak Spanish. That's sad. Yeah. Um, and just a little bit about him. He moved to Uvalde as a kid, attended Uvalde High School, joined the Army, after six months of training, he returned to finish his um, school at Uvalde High School, graduated, attended Southwest Texas Junior College, which is also in Uvalde. Then he joined the Army Reserves. Oh, right, because the Reserves had this thing where you could join while you're in school, then you go back to finish school. Okay, I was like, um, what? Yeah, I didn't <laughs> explain that. And then when your school year is up, then you officially... Or even more time can pass oh. before you actually deploy or anything. Um, mm. So he was in college and he uh, then deployed to Vietnam in 1961. He served in the 49th Armored Division and then he returned a year later, married his wife, Rachel De Leon, resumed his education at Texas A&M Kingsville and then began teaching at Rob Elementary. And when he arrived at Rob Elementary, parents celebrated his arrival. They were over the moon. He was the first teacher they could speak to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's madness to me. Like, And, yeah. and we went to a, a highly, like, Spanish-speaking school system, like, you know, all, mm -hmm. of our, all of our school year, really, like, in Oakland. And so there was always bilingual teachers. But to think, like... Well, and in first... In second grade, right? Or just first grade? We were in just like the Spanish class. <laughs> first grade. Oh, yeah. okay. Kindergarten, yeah, yeah. I don't know how, right. how kinder happened. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first one they could voice their concerns to, and there was a lot to be concerned about. Teachers were spanking children for speaking Spanish. Uh, bathrooms were in terrible conditions. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they weren't allowed to speak Spanish in school, and teachers would hit kids for doing it or punish them excessively. Um, and so oh this God. was one of the many concerns parents had. Um, but yeah, the bathrooms of the school were in terrible conditions, and they wanted more bilingual staff. And honestly, 
the fact the school just wasn't all bilingual is beyond me. The fact that this man was the first yeah. <laughs> bilingual teacher. In 1970. Like, how, how were they getting by before that? It's because <laughs> the staff didn't care. Yeah. So, Mr. George Garza, he raised funds for a playground, a basketball court, a running track. He got permission from the principal to plant pecan trees. He paid students a quarter to water these trees and take care of them. And he's like... I'm running out of money, but he kept doing it because it should not be up to him. It's still like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's appalling that teachers still like buy school supplies and like, yeah, look for ways to, to, I don't know, be creative and whatnot mm-hmm. out, of, out of their own like pocket. And I'm like, you don't even pay them enough and they're using their money. Yeah. And it, like, what's changed? Except now they have guns. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. But they don't want to give them guns. I know. <laughs> They're trying to make that happen. Like, bitch, pay these fucking teachers. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my God. So, uh, Mr. George Garza acted as an inter- intermediate. Oh, my God. Intermediary between the Spanish-speaking parents and the principal. See, and, like, and that should be its own position, its own job. Mm-hmm. How many things was he doing besides teaching? Everything. Everything. That's yeah too much to put on one person yes and so he was essentially filling the role of an assistant principal and this was fine at first with everyone including the principal and the school administration but then as time passed he was like mr garza's doing too much like taking trying to take his job not not mr garza has too much responsibility and i'm not paying him enough no my god mr garza's trying to take my job do your fucking job then bitch fuck Right. And then when the principal heard that George Garza was completing a master's degree, he felt that Mr. Garza was trying to steal his job even more. He's trying to serve his community because he cares about his community. Exactly. What do you do for these students? Nothing. Nothing. Wow. So in an interview with NPR, Mr. Garza said that the principal called him a double crosser and said, you want my job, don't you? And so this was around the end of the school year. And after this incident, Mr. Garza received a letter from the superintendent. Oh, my God. Was he fired? Mm -hmm. That stated it was in the best interest of Rob. It is in the best interest of these children for that principal to be fired and for him to become principal. Oh, my God. That's the best interest. But they wrote, it's in the best interest of Rob Elementary and the Uvalde Independent School District that your contract would not be extended. And this came uh, to a shock to Mr. Garza and to everyone, to all the parents, because he was the best the thing that had happened to the school. thing that happened to that school. Yes. Wow. We were really on a roll today. Christina. I know. It's crazy, man. We were like on the same page. Same today. page. Wow. wow. Same book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same uterus. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Garza appealed this decision and uh, the appeal was to be heard in front of the school board. Parents and students crowded into a tiny, tiny, tiny room. Like, they were just shoulder to shoulder cramped in this room because everybody showed up in support of Mr. Garza. Mr. Garza's own son, who attended Rob Elementary, was also in the room. When the school board voted 6-1 to in favor of the firing to not rehire him, 
Six to one. Mm-hmm. Six to one. These were all white people, weren't they? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so outrage broke out. And among the parents, someone said, we should walk out. One woman, Manuela Canales, began ch- chanting, walk out. Or sorry, walk out, walk out. I said it wrong the first time. <laughs> and, walk out, uh, walk out. <laughs> it was not enough energy. <laughs> Which I'm sorry, guys, like my voice is not here today, but I really wanted to get this episode done. (laughs) My voice may not be present, but I am. (laughs) So yeah, they were all chanting, walk out, walk out, children, join the chant. One mom, whose kids were not yet school-aged, was at this meeting, and she recalls police officers like they're pointing weapons at them. For wanting better for their children, for wanting a, a principal or a teacher that actually cares about their students mm-hmm. is culturally um, sensitive. Well, not even like competent because it's his culture too, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaks their language. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so this was, <laughs> uh, this was Olga Munoz Rodriguez and she would become an activist and a community leader after this day, like literally the next day. So the next day, April 14th, 1970, parents pulled their teachers from Rob Elementary. Middle school and high school students walked out in support of Mr. Garza. And some some parents did try to force their children to attend because there was fear of retaliation because like... Of course there was. Yeah. Even though the community was 75% Mexican, this school was 99% Mexi- Mexican. The The... The bosses, all the bosses were white. And so they were like afraid mm-hmm. that if their kids were caught participating, that they would be fired. So not all the students participated, but a lot did. In a separate interview, Mr. Garza says that there had already been tensions boiling and his firing was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, it's what like just blew the lid and made everyone walk out, but there had already been issues. Like he, he, he likes to downplay his role in, in the walkouts, Mm. but it is true that there had already been issues brewing in the community. The day of the walkout, uh, the Mexican American Parents Association was formed and Olga Munoz Rodriguez became the secretary for the organization. She would write letters to the Uvalde leader news to express the parents' concerns. And at the time, she was working at a phone company, and she was, like, one of two Mexican employees at this phone company. And so wow. when her coworkers would read her letters, they were not supportive. Um, they would say things like, we should burn them all at the stake. Ah, uh, what? For wanting better schools mm-hmm. for the ch- their children? Yeah, but they would say, we should burn them all at the stake, like that man in Rock Springs. When did that happen? This is, yeah, this is a, this is a reference to uh, a Mexican farmhand who was lynched by a white mob 70 miles from Uvalde. And other hangings have been occurring around the time, which mm-hmm. are also going to be a topic on this podcast. And get this. So once the Mexican-American Parent or uh, Association had formed, German parents then formed the German-American Parents Organization. Nazis. <laughs> I don't know, but it's giving all lives matter. Like <laughs> it's giving Charlestown. It's giving <laughs> literal Nazis. Yeah, Aryan Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So then they would write 
to the same newspaper stating things like, if the Mexicans don't like their children being discriminated because of their skin color... They should just lie in their skin. Yeah. <gasps> oh my god, I was saying that as a joke and it's what they said? Yes. Have to be nope. shitting me nope. right now. We recommend they powder their children's faces before sending them oh to school. Oh my fucking god. Yes, and then whenever there was a... a town town hall meeting school board meeting and uh the mexican mexican american parents association sh- would show up and you know say their part then the german american parents organization would stand up and copy word for word what the mexican parents were saying but replace the word with german and their goal was literally they formed this organization to mock and diminish and uh make fun of the mexican parents what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah. I wish I could go back in time, find each one of these freaking German association, whatever the hell, and punch them. And this was in 1970. Like, oh my God. I would have been embarrassed to, first of all, make a German association. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, but it's only been so long since World War II. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. I would kind of hide the fact that it was German. I would I wouldn't tell anybody that I was German. I'm sorry. I'm actually Swedish. <laughs> oh no, I'm from Norway. Oh no, I'm actually that from Poland. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Wow, I'm like shocked. Yeah, yeah. And this was their only goal to like fucking trolls since day one. Yeah. So the walkouts began with only a few students at first. Eventually, it grew to 500 students that participated in the walkouts. This would go down in history as one of the like longest walkouts, the second longest walkout in history. The first longest also takes place in Texas, um, which will mm. probably be its own episode. <laughs> They're just so inspiring, these stories. Yeah. So this walkout lasted six weeks, which, yeah, oh, wow. is a long time. Students and parents knew that they would face consequences. High school seniors knew they would not graduate. Um, wow, yeah. They, and they didn't, yeah. And um, But they persisted. They gave the school board a list of demands. And I wrote this whole thing and I couldn't find the list of demands, but I found it after. So let me flip to them and read them to you. This is the list that the high school seniors gave the school board. There were 14 demands. It is stated in the United States Constitution that in our country, an individual has the freedom to seek justice and his well-being. Therefore, the students who have been participating in this walkout should not be punished or reprimanded in any form or fashion for their just causes, which are being demanded. So the first demand was to not be punished for the for the walkouts, mm-hmm. which is reasonable to me. Yeah, it is also oh, second demand. It is also relevant that the principal of the rival elementary school is not capable of holding the position that he has. Therefore, we demand his resignation. Also reasonable. I love it. The grade level in Uvalde is very low considering our grade level with the Anglo in our community. Therefore, we see fit to demand that bilingual education be incorporated into the primary grade curriculum. Makes sense seeing that the school was 99%... Perfectly reasonable. Yes. 99% Mexican. So, uh, number four. It has also been brought to our attention that the contribution of the Mexican-American people to the society and culture has not been given proper recognition. Therefore, we also demand that the textbooks be revised as well as teaching methods in order to properly reflect our contribution to the Anglo-dominated society. 
I think that's something that still doesn't happen to this day in most school districts. Yeah. Unless you have mm-hmm. a Latino, Latine teacher. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you learn about any of these things, I think, in school. Number five. We also see fit to demand that if any teacher in the system disagrees politically or philosophically with the establishment's view, they do not be dismissed or intimidated, Uh, which, yeah, makes sense. All of these, these, and these are things high school seniors came up with. Uh, Number six, there has also been complaints by students that they have been ridiculed by their teachers because of their language barrier and their culture. Therefore, we see fit to demand that every teacher, administrator, and member of the staff be educated so that they know our language, Spanish, and be able to pronounce our names correctly, understand our history, tradition, and contributions as Mexican-Americans. How can they expect to teach us if they do not know us? We demand more Mexican-American teachers be hired. Yes. Reasonable. Yeah. Number seven. This one's kind of a stretch. <laughs> we want September 16th as a holiday, but for Mexican um, independence. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if that's not possible, we want an assembly with speakers of our own. We feel that it is a great day in the history of the world because it is the date when the Mexicans were liberated from the rule of the Spanish. Our ancestors fought in this war and we owe them tribute because we are Mexicans too. And honestly, an assembly to recognize the day is not much to ask for. A whole holiday, okay. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I could see how that's a stretch. But I also think about Mexican-Americans and Texans. In Texas, have had like a long or, or a stronger connection to like historical events and whatnot in Mexico because it was mm-hmm. <laughs> Mexico, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I don't, I don't know, I guess... Like, cause to me, I don't see it that way. Right. Because we're first gen here. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I'm assuming there's also, um, <laughs> Mexican Americans in California. I just hear, or that have been here for a long time oh, yeah, when it is. was a part of Mexico. Mm-hmm. I just hear more about it in, in, in Texas. Yeah. And so I could see why they wrote that in there like that, but yeah, it is yeah. kind of a, a stretch. I, I could see I why see they wrote one. it, but I could also see that one being dismissed. Just go being like, bitch, <laughs> this is the United States. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to celebrate Mexico's Independence Day by giving you the day off. Yeah, but like I would, I'm all for it. Like, yeah, give them the yeah, day off. Yeah, <laughs> all the days off. <laughs> Number eight, being civic-minded citizens, we want to know what happenings are in our community. We therefore demand the right to have access to all types of literature and be able to bring it on on campus. Reasonable. Makes sense. Yeah. Number nine. It is also demanded that a course on Chicano education with the full value of full credit be offered in the high school. Which to me is fair if your community is 75% I mean, that is our history. And we have a right to learn our history. Yeah, and and people act like it's not. And you know... You know what's not our history? mm -hmm. Whatever the hell happened in Europe in the 1400s. I don't give a shit about the fucking medieval times. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we learned... I I mean, I guess I see the point because you learned about the feudal whatever fuck system. But still, (laughs) I don't give a fuck. You think I cared about... I don't know. I'm trying to think of something and I can't. If I want to learn about King Arthur, I'll watch a movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I learned everything I needed to learn about King Arthur from the Magic Treehouse, okay? 
really though fun books anyway no yeah i love those books <laughs> so uh number 10 any and all nominations and elections done while the mexican americans were out should be declared invalid so any school board meetings that happened while the walkouts were occurring any votes yeah, yeah. because they couldn't take part in mm-hmm. it yeah uh number 11 since in the last four years, only five Mexican-Americans have been cho- chosen to who's who, it is plain to see that prejudice lies with the teachers. We demand that the elections to who's who be left to the student body. So I think, um, I don't know. I think it's like, uh, who's important? Like maybe they have a yearbook thing where they teach like, or where they oh, pick okay. who's important yeah. and uh, Mexican mm-hmm. students are never chosen. That's what it seems like to me. Even though they're the majority yes. population. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Which it makes sense to leave that up to the student body. Uh yeah. Number twelve. We demand a Mexican American counselor be hired at Uvalde High School and Junior High so that the Mexican American students will benefit. Which yeah. Honestly, more bilingual yes. staff. Yes. Yeah. Number thirteen. Seeing that the majority of the students at Rob Elementary are Mexican-American, we demand a Mexican-American principal. Yeah. At the very least, one that speaks Spanish and cares about the students. Yes. Number 14. All students who participated in the walkout should be allowed to make up work miss with all the teachers, which was reasonable to me because... Yeah. um, These demands were not met. None of them? No. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, yes, that was a list of demands, and the board would refuse all these demands. So during the walkouts, uh, volunteers from a group called VISTA, um, and this was an organization that helped those in poverty in the area, they quickly organized to set up a school for the kids that had been pulled out. They called these a uh, freedom school, which I thought that was such a cool name. The church let them set up in an unused church building. Students from the University of Texas, St. Edwards University, and other higher education institutions from Austin and San Antonio, Texas, traveled to Uvalde to teach the kids that were pulled out so they wouldn't fall behind. The head of Vista and a mother named Maria Garcia worked together to organize a community kitchen to get free lunch to all the kids. Food donations from Texas poured in, like, high amounts. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. An activist named Ben Reyes brought vehicles full of food from Houston. Another community organizer from the RVG, the Rio Valley Grande? I can't say it. (laughs) Yeah. Grande? I don't know if... Yeah, yeah. Um, But I'm just going to say RGB because it's just a lot shorter. Yeah. He traveled to Uvalde and helped set up a newsletter called called the Chicano Times. And he employed high schoolers that were participating in the walkout to report, edit, write, and translate. He also set up theater performances for the kids... And every day, everyone from the freedom schools and the stu- high school students, middle school students, would hop onto trucks and travel to other. And these are trucks volunteered by the community. They would hop onto the, mm-hmm. these trucks and travel to other schools to form picket lines as the students were walking out. Uh, so wow. I mean, they got their full day of school. They they mm-hmm. the, se- the seniors were learning how to be reporters, right? 
I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, like this sounds better than school. They weren't just like fucking off, no. you know, not going to walking out and then not doing Mm-mm. anything, right? Because yeah. the, the purpose of the walkout wasn't to, it, like, it had a purpose, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I meant. And they were out here doing amazing things. Amazing things, yeah. Like the community of Texas, like not just Uvalde, but all over Texas poured in numbers to mm-hmm. help the school. Um, and like the Anglo newspapers and people were trying to paint them as like, hooligans and radicals that were just not doing anything other than (laughs) protesting but they were like engaging in civic duties fighting for their rights being leaders but of course the anglos Mm -hmm. would never see it that way yes speaking of them so um trash yes Olga Munoz Rodriguez recalls that the local newspaper she would send her letters to changed her letters to make them appear more ignorant, which is so unethical. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, students that participated in the walkouts were called labeled agitators by the school board and police. Whenever the Mexican-American Parents Association was speaking, the German parents showed up. <laughs> That's agitating. Those are agitators. That, those are those are real agitators. Yeah. And yeah, they just I just can't believe they formed this organization and their only goal was to embarrass, ridicule, and impede the efforts of the Mexican parents and students. Like embarrassing. Yeah, that's straight up like all lives matter or blue lives matter type of shit where they didn't exist yeah. until Black Lives Matter existed. Like that's exactly what this is. Ugh, yeah. Gross. Um so one high school senior and one of the leaders of the walkout, her name was Elvia Perez is she's still alive my bad <clears throat> anyway she was an honor student and she was said to be the valedictorian sorry valedictorian <laughs> say this word valedictorian <laughs> yes did i say it right mm-hmm. oh she was said to be the valedictorian and when the walkouts broke out um she felt compelled to participate she knew she wouldn't graduate um and her plans for university, they would be ruined. But she was like, wow. it was the morally right thing to do. And so she was the one who presented the list of uh, demands to the board. And she recalls that um, walking out of that meeting, meeting, Texas Rangers were called to quell the walkouts. And she remembers them pointing weapons at them. Rangers pointing weapons at teens mm-hmm. for wanting better education. Yeah. Trash. Super trash. I mean, it's the Texas Rangers. Like, what do you expect? I know. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and this, Literal is, trash. Yeah, this is what she said about it in, in an interview. Also, I'm going to mention the sources, but there's this thing called the Voces Project from a Texas university. And um, they have all these amazing interviews and they've like really done such a good job, like archiving uh, the Uvalde school walkouts, which is where a lot of this information comes from. But so during an interview with Voces, she said about this situation, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken because I thought I'm an American citizen from generations. And all of a sudden we're being treated this way. Like, I was appalled. I was 17. I had no idea people would react that way. I remember that we were walking out into that building where the little school board met and looking up at the barrel of a Texas Rangers rifle. They were on the roof with guns pointed down at us. That was harsh. 
I thought, gosh, this is America. We have the, we have the right as citizens to speak up and speak out. And I just didn't understand that. That was one thing that I remember very, very clearly. And it was painful. We weren't asking for anything radical. We were asking for help for the kids. But I, when she said... But this is America. Yeah. When she said yes. that, I was like, yeah. Yep. Uh, another senior at the time, Sergio Porras, uh, he was 17. Um, he recalls Border Patrol throwing soap at protesters. Why was Border Patrol there? <laughs> Why are they anywhere? <laughs> yeah. Trash. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to stop saying trash and I'm going to start saying basura. Basura. <laughs> yeah, but they were throwing soap at protesters. And this wasn't uh, on top of throwing things at protesters. This was a dig at the, the whole dirty Mexican. Okay. I was just going to say that. Like, you're, we're like tuned in tune today, man, because I was really going to say that right now. <laughs> wow. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this. Um, <laughs> twins. <laughs> Another participant, Alfredo Santos, recalls a strong police presence too, including helicopters. But, but, oh my god! Yeah, so more on that. Talk about a waste of fucking fucking funds, right? Resources, which still happens today. Oh yeah. So because the point is to threaten people yeah, to not not fight to for protect. Yeah, to protect the to keep the status yeah. quo. That's what they're protecting, not the people. So 25 Texas Rangers were deployed to Uvalde, and the ranger in charge was none other than the infamous Captain Alfred Ali, who had a reputation. Um, so he had been a vital player in violently crushing the 1967 United Farm Workers melon strikes, which is one of the largest strikes um, in Texas involving United Farm Workers. And that, I mean, that's probably going to be its own episode too. <laughs> TBH. I'm going to start counting how many times you say that per episode. I want to say you're at four now. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so, um, Captain Ali also appeared before the United States Civil Rights Committee in San Antonio for beatings that he had committed to towards Mexicans. So, he brought that reputation with him, obviously. His <sighs> rangers and two Huey helicopters. And so these are the helicopters that um, Sergio Parra or Alfredo Santos mentioned earlier. One recently returned Vietnam veteran that was participating in the walkouts recalls like thinking he was back in Vietnam because of like the helicopter noises. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so these helicopters were used mainly for reconnaissance, like mm, recon. I can't say that word. <laughs> Yeah, they were. Oh, it sounds right oh, to me. Well, okay, <laughs> perfect. So they were taking pictures of participants. So the student I mentioned earlier, Alfredo Santos, and other 17-year-old boys, boys that were participating in the walkouts, found themselves being drafted for Vietnam. They were 17. They were not 18. Oh, my God. Yeah, this shocked them. Because, again, they were not 18. You're supposed to be 18. Um, it turns out that Ruth Webb, the head of the local draft board, was putting their names to be drafted after being given their identities, which were being identified by the helicopter recon. 
What the fuck? Yes. And so they were putting their names here to get rid of them to... They're literally saying them to their deaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of them... For wanting a better education for... <sighs> yeah. Their community and the little ones in their community. Yeah. yeah. Because they're seniors, right? A senior could say, well, fuck this shit. I'm leaving for better things now mm -hmm. and I won't have to they deal could've. with this. But no, instead, they sacrificed their graduation their education, yeah their graduations their future university um plans to be faced with this shit to be threatened and to be sent to their fucking deaths i was not expecting i know that. Oh i know i was shocked when i read this um and so he alfredo santos along with others escaped um or fled sorry fled to california and other states to escape this draft and I don't blame them. But how is that even... Okay, why am I even asking How is this? that legal? <laughs> That's it's, not even legal. It's not. It's highly illegal. And I don't think she was ever punished for it. But she was literally sending them to their death. Appalling. Um, in an interview with the Voces Project, another um, walkout participant, Jose Aguilar, said that he felt compelled to walk out, not only for Mr. Garza, for, but for all the mistreatment, mistreatment he faced for being Mexican as a child. And these are his words, the following. One teacher grabbed me by the ear, dragged me to a wall, and on that wall of the building, she drew a circle. She told me to put my nose on that circle. She drew it right at the height where I had to sort of tippy-toe to stay there. And I had to put my nose there as punishment for speaking Spanish. I was there for the whole half hour we had recess. Torture. This is literal torture. Torture. Literal torture for sp speaking Spanish. And a lot of these students in this grade in elementary school, that was their first language. Like when we got to school, we didn't speak fluent English. No. Because what was spoken at home? Spanish. And that was the case for so many of these students. And they were being punished for it when they literally could not speak anything else. And then later in junior high... Uh, Jose Aguilera also said that um, his football coach overheard him speaking Spanish to a teammate and he made um, or he hit the boys. So he gave them two licks for their transgression. So two like hits. I'm just I'm just appalled because I'm like, OK, first of all, I'm not even OK with parents hitting their children. Right. Like the, that's abuse. And in 1970. But strangers. Yeah, in in teachers, 1970, teachers were doing this. That's like, like unbelievable. Yeah, I will. I don't even know. Like as a parent, I feel like I would have went to school and thrown hands, but of course that wouldn't have happened because then you would be in jail. Mm -hmm. But still, I'm like, yeah. What do you do? This is it's it's. And until Mr. Garza arrived, they couldn't even tell the 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 administration. Exactly. Hey, why is this happening? Oh my god! Yeah. I'm just appalling. Um, so men, many seniors joined the walkouts for reasons like Jose Aguilar's, um, and though they didn't graduate, many obtained their GED and they went on to continue their education. None regret the walkout, although the walkout technically didn't achieve anything. Like the demands were not met. Mr. Garza didn't get his job back, but so nothing changed. Well, I'll, let me, I'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> So although the walkouts didn't technically achieve anything, so many of the high school seniors that participated went on to do amazing things. Like, 
become community leaders, activists, Alfredo, Alfredo Sant, Sant, Santos, who I mentioned earlier, who fled to California. He went on to become Cesar Chavez's, like, one of his main people participating oh, wow. in that movement. Um, another uh, woman in here, uh, one of the moms, the one that was the secretary for MAPA. Mm-hmm. She went on to create her, she had a news, um, a radio segment on the news Newsletter? station. Oh, okay. News station, on the radio station where they talked about community problems. Um, and this mm-hmm. went on for a while. She then went and created her own newspaper twice that talked about uh, Mexican-American issues. And it was all in Spanish. And that was one thing she did. Others went on to become principals or teachers and return to Uvalde, like, they just, they all did amazing things. And they said that this, these walkouts shaped them. And again, I'm getting chills, but I don't know if it's COVID or the inspiration. <laughs> I think it's inspiration. It is truly amazing that we're forced to step up. And and I think, obviously, like, they should have gone through that. We shouldn't still be going through mm-hmm. uh things like this but it really does um lead people to like do better and to um well not do better fight for better yeah. um and because i mean one could easily just lose hope in humanity <laughs> after going through things like that and 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 that's why people of color Native Americans and um, Black people have like higher rates of mental illnesses, uh, substance use, and whatnot because we have to put up with this fucking bullshit. Yeah, and you you put up with this generation after yes. generation after oh, generation. Yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> but we're here. We're still here, fighting every day. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing to hear like the things yeah. that they were able and to do. And this is why other things irk me. Like, oh no, Sab- people making fun of no Sabo kids. But it's like, these mm-hmm. kids were being hit for speaking Spanish. Do so you blame them for later not running? That's why there's no Sabo kids, yes. Yeah. And even, even okay, like, we were not hit in school, right, for speaking Spanish. But I remember getting in trouble yeah. for so speaking in Spanish. School- <laughs> and what did I do after that? I stopped speaking for Spanish so many years. unless it was at home. Yeah. And now my Spanish is trash. It's not. It's not. It's not, it's it's not, not that really. bad. But still. <laughs> but it could. It could have been be better. Yeah. If I had. If I wasn't made to feel shamed. Oh yeah. For speaking Spanish. So, and, because I was. And for a yeah. long time I didn't speak it because yeah, of that. Same. Same. And so in middle school, the teach one of our teachers thought everyone was talking shit about her in Spanish. We probably were, but it was our right. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about her (laughs) yeah and and you know the worst thing is that they they shamed everyone and and basically got us in trouble for speaking spanish but we had two immigrants in the class who only spoke spanish um so it's like and then they felt alienated there's a reason that that people want to speak spanish and you know why not let them like yeah and so let me go back to uvalde here so none of the 14 demands were met mr garza did not get his job back but the walkouts did lead to a lawsuit that was filed to fight segregation in, um, and discrimination against Mexicans in the Uvalde school district. The lawsuit was filed 
under Genoveva Morales, who had 11 kids who went through this school system. 11 children. And she did it for her children and for all the little children. And a 40-year fight for justice would ensue. Oh, my God. 40 years. So the school district was ordered to work to desegregate under the court and would continue to operate under court supervision. And they are one of the only school districts that were forced to do this under court. Other school districts did it on their own. Oh, my God. Embarrassing. earlier than 1970. It wasn't until 2016 that the lawsuit would come to a close and an agreement was signed with... When? 2016. And then, but this was like... 2016? Yeah, this was the agreement that the school had finally... was finally in compliance. Um, that was but, six years ago. <laughs> yeah, but the school district worked so hard to not meet these demands. They worked harder to not complete or not follow the lawsuit than they did to work on the lawsuit for years like into that that's to, fucking yeah. embarrassing in 2007 and 2008 they tried to go back to court to not do this and yeah it wasn't until like a little bit later that they finally were like okay maybe we should stop fighting the lawsuit and actually work on these things like <laughs> and and meanwhile meanwhile mexican-american students paid the prize for these fucking trash school officials yep. refusing to comply with the court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, ridiculous. Genoveva Morales would later become known as the mother of Chicano civil rights in Uvalde. Amazing. Wow. And they named a middle school after her in Uvalde. Wow. Yeah. I got chills. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was actually just honored um, right before the shooting happened. There was a wow. dinner for her. Ugh. And yeah, she just looks so proud. And um, there was an uh, NPR interview with every, almost every, um, Mr. Garza was in the interview. And then like to Olga, I forgot her name already. Olga Munoz Rodriguez, who I mentioned, she mm-hmm. was in the interview. But they're just like saying like this historic event happened in Rob Elementary. And now what's going to happen to Rob Elementary? Because I don't think... T- students are going to want to go back there yeah. right is it going to be torn down yeah. and they were just like really heartbroken over that because like they were there when all this happened to fight for rights at yeah. Rob elementary all right so yeah i wanted to end this on a letter that jose aguilar wrote to the voices project after his interview with them because yeah it's just it's a beautiful now in my 60s i somehow find time for the things i enjoy in life I still live in the same house in the barrio I grew up. At times, I sit under that blackberry tree my mom and I planted a lifetime ago. I hear my grandkids playing as I once did as a kid. They don't speak much Spanish like we did. Like we didn't speak much English growing up. Yet, they sound happy as can be. They will never know the feelings I went through growing up. They may never see the face of being different like I did. They may never feel the anger of people who didn't know better. Most people say we lost the cause of the 1970 walkout. That that it oh, that it was all just a waste of time that left a scar that will never heal. Others don't even want to remember, let alone talk about it. All generations encounter problems and dilemmas that they alone must resolve. We may have lost the cause in 1970, but we did change a system in a time we believed it was wrong, and that was our victory. 
our next generations, including my grandkids, will reflect and hopefully someday understand our own sacrifice. People that participated in the walkouts are still very local to Uvalde, but they're... Mm -hmm. um, and they, in recent interviews after the shooting occurred, they were like, I just don't think a lot of enough people are involved in activism anymore, especially the Mexican-American community now. Like, here we, we, there we were in those days, like, doing all this for um, education. And, like, you know, there's issues today and not enough people are politically active about it. Yeah, and a lot of them, a lot of them said that. A lot of them, just like in his letter, um, said, like, not enough people remember the walkouts, talk about the walkouts. Mm -hmm. Even uh, Mr. Garza, in another interview later, he was, like, talking about the walkouts, but um, he mentioned, um, I don't know if you saw Beto, Beto O'Rourke's performative. I'm sorry, I refuse <laughs> to call him what that. What is his Robert. name? Robert. Yeah. I did see Robert. Okay. Well, he, and um, so about that, Mr. Garza was like, that's not the Uvalde way. Like, he doesn't think that Robert O'Rourke should have, should have done that either. So it's still just like a very conflicting thing that happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is, that was the Uvalde school walkouts where Rob Elementary was the epicenter of it all. No, I was just going to say that I, I like what he wrote because it's easy to look back at that and say, you know, nothing changed. And that's where my <laughs> head was at already, you mm -hmm. know, um, but things did change, you know, and, and sometimes it just takes longer than than we wanted to. Yeah. So many teachers at all three schools are, are uh, Mexican-American. And as sadly, um, two of the teachers that were killed, yeah. were, as well as the, the other teacher that was injured, who later gave an interview about it, which was so heartbreaking to watch. And and yeah, the students participated in walkouts in support of gun control because of the mm. the shooting. Um, so yeah, walkouts are yeah a very 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 powerful tool um, in activism. I really love that we're doing this because I think it helps. It's like you said earlier, like now when we think about Uvalde, we're going to think about the school shooting. And so like, but there's like a rich, you know, history of Mexican, Mexican Americans. You do not, maybe you do know because I told you, but I was so, so down after the shooting. Like I'm not even from the community. I legit didn't go to yeah. work um, the day after it happened. And I, I could yeah. not like move. Like I was like, quite like if you look at the symptoms of depression i was having them like yeah i had no motivation to do anything i didn't put out an episode of either podcast i didn't edit i wasn't even on my phone i was just basically sitting with my children like in the living room just like staring at them <laughs> for like four days it's horrible what happened was horrible yeah. but i think that you know not i mean not to minimize anything right but i think that it helps to to learn about the ways that we're able to overcome and change things for the better, even if it does take 40 years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't until I started looking up this stuff because I was like, what else has happened here? And and then I started feeling like normal again. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, and hopeful. Yes, hopeful. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why I went. I 
I wanted to do this topic, but also like, you know, everything that we discuss here, because yeah, some things are very depressing, but usually there's like a hint of hope in, in these stories. Yeah. And I think it's important to learn about the past because I think it's easy to be complacent and say, well, things are better now, even though they're not. <laughs> I'm not I'm just kidding. They are. I literally just said the opposite thing. Um, things are better and we don't face the same racism that, you know, people did, mm -hmm. I don't know, 50 years ago. So it is easy to be complacent um, and do nothing and, and not engage in anything. Okay, yeah, I'm going to end this now because my child just walked in. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thanks for listening and we'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.